Amen. Well, I wonder if we could turn um, to the Psalm 126 this evening, and we'll read again, it's a short psalm, so we'll read uh, from just right down through the psalm, the Psalm 126, and we will read from verse 1 of the psalm. Psalm 126 and verse 1. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Amen. We pray that God will bless the reading of his precious word to all of our hearts. Now, just a couple of things before we come to the body of this uh, psalm. I want you to see, first of all, that this is another psalm of Zion. We're looking at these uh, psalms of degrees or psalms of ascent. The last one, the Psalm 125, is a psalm of Zion. It says, they that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion. And Zion, of course, is the symbol for Jerusalem, which itself represents the place where God dwells amongst his people. And this is the second one of the Psalms of uh, degree or the Psalms of ascent that are Psalms of Zion. Now, the setting of this Psalm is probably at the time of the return from the exile in Babylon. The uh, timing is not absolutely sure. Many of the commentators would say that it was uh, fixed about the time when the children of Israel returned from Babylon. Uh, Calvin certainly asserted that with certainty, that that was what he thought was the case. And we think of the exit of the children of Israel when they came out of uh, Babylon, and you can imagine them singing the song as they are set at liberty. The children of Israel, of course, suffered 70 years of captivity in Babylon because of their sin. And you're, prob you're probably familiar with the story of how they sinned, and God said by his prophets that he would bring them into 70 years of captivity. And now the 70 years is at an end, and now the, uh, the uh, emperor uh, Cyrus, uh, the Persians, have just taken over the empire, and he uh, finds the decree that Jerusalem should be built again, and he fulfills the decree and begins to send the people home, and they come back again under Ezra, under Nehemiah. And you'll know the story in Ezra and Nehemiah, how that the wall was built, how that the temple was built, and we think of the great setting free of the children of Israel. Now, we can understand something of their sadness in Babylon if you were to look at the Psalm 137. If you turn over the page there to the Psalm 137, if you look at verses 1 to 3, it says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept 
When we remembered Zion, we hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof, and there they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. So there was forced song and forced laughter. They weren't in any mood to uh, sing or to laugh or to have mirth in the midst of their captivity in uh, Babylon. But now, suddenly, God brings them home. Suddenly, God breaks through, as it were, and the 70 years of captivity are an end, and they have a real song, and they have real laughter, and they're able to praise God for all that he has done for them. And this really is a psalm of praise. We um, often think of how the children of Israel sung at different times when they were delivered from enemies. Uh, They sang the song of praise to God. Well, here is a song of deliverance, and it speaks of the great deliverance that God brings us through. And thank God tonight we have had a mighty deliverance. Uh, When we think of Calvary, when we think of how we've been set at liberty from sin and from uh, the punishment of sin, we have uh, right and uh, we have um, uh, every cause to praise and to thank God for our deliverance this evening. So we want to look at the themes of this wonderful psalm of praise, this psalm of deliverance. And there are a number of themes here in the wonderful psalm that I want you to see. Now, first of all, I want you to notice the source that the psalmist acknowledges. Now, he's speaking about deliverance. We're saying this is a psalm of deliverance. And I want you to see that he acknowledges the source of the deliverance. Look at verse 1. It says, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. This was so good that it seemed like a dream. It seemed as if it was uh, something that they couldn't even anticipate. It was an unexpected blessing. It seemed just like a dream to the psalmist. It was almost too good to be true. And then look at what he says in verse 3. He says, the Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. And he knows that the Lord has done this. This is so uh, unexpected and so miraculous and such a change and such a turnaround that he knows that it is only the Lord that could have done this. The Lord turned again the captivity of Zion. And you know, sometimes the Lord will bring us into difficulties And sometimes the Lord will bring us into dire straits. And he will bring us into times when things are going wrong just precisely to show us that we need to depend upon him. And that we come to the point where he's the only one that can bring us out of that situation. For example, you think about the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt, out of the bondage of Egypt. And again, it was a great deliverance. And only the Lord could have done it. But you remember how they came to the banks of the Red Sea. And the sea was in front of them. And Pharaoh and his chariots were coming behind them. And there were hills on every side. And there was no way forward. And there was no way back. 
And they were shut in. The Bible says that they were entangled in the land. And it was just then that God stepped in and he said, Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. And God opened the way through the Red Sea. And it was so miraculous and it was so unusual that the children of Israel could say no other than God had done this. They couldn't have done it. Nobody else could have done it. But God did it. And here are the children of Israel, and they have been brought out of this captivity. Some of them had been born in exile. Many of them, it was 70 years. Many of them had got to the point where they thought, well, this is going to be what it is. There's going to be no change. And then God just steps in and changes the situation. And the God that we worship is still the same God today. He's the God of the unexpected. He's the God who can change things suddenly when it seems as if there is no hope, when it seems as if there's no way through, God makes a way through. So he noticed, he he speaks about, or the psalm speaks about the source. He acknowledges the the source of this miracle, the, the source of the deliverance that he is dealing with here in the psalm. But not only do I want you to notice the source he acknowledges, but look at the song he sings. Look at verses 2 and 3. It said, Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. We thought about the words of the Psalm 137. And you remember what he said in the Psalm 137. He said that in the captivity, their captors required of them mirth and they required of them a song. But it wasn't something that came from the heart. It was something that was forced. Their tormentors were demanding songs of joy, but there was no joy in their hearts. Uh, And indeed, they said at the start of that Psalm 137 that they wept when they remembered Zion. So their hearts were filled with uh, weeping and with sadness. There they were in a foreign land under captivity in many ways. But now that the Lord has come, now that the Lord has suddenly brought them back to Zion, their mouths are filled with laughter and their tongues are filled with singing. And you'll notice how often it speaks about joy in the psalm. Joy is mentioned four times in the psalm. It's uh, mentioned twice there in uh, verse 6. It speaks of uh, uh, rejoicing there. Doubtless come again with rejoice. Verse 5 and 6. They shall reap in joy and they'll doubtless come again rejoicing. So there is much about joy here in this psalm. And when you're drowning in tears and sorrow, and sometimes maybe you wonder if you will never laugh again, maybe in the midst of the difficulties of life, your mouth is very much not filled with laughter or with songs. God can give joy again. I think of Abram's wife, Sarah, and the, the... Bible speaks of her barrenness and her bitterness and her tears over the years because of the fact that she had no child. 
And then God gave her the gift of Isaac in her old age. And it says in Genesis 21, verses 6 and 7, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, uh, Who would have said unto, unto Abram that Sarah would have given children suck, for I have borne him a son in his old age. And there was Sarah, after all the bitterness and after all the sorrow, was filled with laughter and was filled with joy. And I'm glad that the God who did that is still our God today. The Lord who delivers is a God who can bring back the joy. Now, there are four joys. Boyce, uh, the commentator, speaks of four joys that are often commonly lost by God's people. There is the joy of salvation. We lose the joy of salvation. We were first saved, and we remember the blessing that it was that our sins were forgiven. We were washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. All of the uh, affliction of conscience was dealt with. We were burdened over our sins. We were afraid of the path that we were on. And then God steps in, and we are saved by His grace. And what a joy floods our soul. Uh, there's that joy that floods our soul uh, day by day. And we're filled with a desire to go forward. We're filled with that new enthusiasm for the things of God. But you know how often it is that as the years go on and we become used to the worship of God and we become used to the blessings of God and we become used to the uh, uh, new life that God has given to us, we are like the children of Israel and we begin to murmur and we begin to lose the joy. I wonder today, have we been discouraged by defeats, discouraged by the road that has been hard? Even John Wesley wrote a hymn and he said, Where's the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? And how many of us would have to concur with that where is the blessedness we knew when first we saw the Lord? We can lose the joy of our salvation. Something else that we can lose is the joy of spiritual victory. Maybe you can think of times when you prayed for somebody or that you witnessed to somebody and you spoke to somebody or gave them an invitation along to the meeting and God answered your prayers, and you, there was a real breakthrough, or you were involved in meetings, or involved in some kind of outreach, and God began to, sh began to bring people in, and there was a, a breakthrough, or maybe it was uh, the, the breakthrough of uh, the healing of a relationship, or something like that. And you saw the way that God was answering prayer, and there was a victory. But you know, sometimes... We lose the joy of victory. Maybe that joy has faded into memory. Well, thank God tonight that the struggles can end. And we may think that we'll never be happy again. But you know the Lord is able to give us back the joy of victory. Not only may we lose the joy of salvation and the joy of victory, but we can lose the joy of Christian fellowship. You know, we think of the joy of Christian fellowship, 
that fellowship that we have one to another. And we think of the joys of heaven, and those are eternal joys. But you know, the fellowship of God's people is sweet. You know, when we're singing, as it were, from the same hymn sheet, when we are meeting together in prayer, when we have a burden for the area or a burden for our family or a burden for the area or the community in which we live, and there is that driving forward as united people. You know, what a joy that brings. And there's the joy of having that one desire within our hearts, that focus within our hearts, a focus of the fellowship, and that when there's that focus amongst the people of God, that longing for God to work and for God, uh, God's work to go forward, that brings joy. When there is discontent, when there are uh, fallings out, when there is a break of the fellowship, the joy goes. The joy goes. And you know, the Lord wants to bring us joy. He wants to fill our mouths with laughter. He wants to fill our tongues with singing. And you know, when we have those things that we have against our brother and sister, they break the joy. There's the joy of a new work for God. When we're fresh into something, when we're uh, leading a meeting for the first time, or when we are involved in the work for the first time, There's a joy in seeing who's going to come in, a joy of what's going to happen tonight. And then maybe the weeks go on and the joy goes. No, the Lord wants us to have joy. He wants us to be filled with laughter, not glum faces, not always looking to the ground, but lifting our eyes heavenward and realizing that the Lord is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that can ask or think. So we see something there of the source that he acknowledges and the song he sings. But then I want you to see the supplication that he makes. Look now at verse 4. Here's the prayer of the psalmist. He says, Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Now, remember that this is a song of ascent or a song of degrees. This is the prayer of people going up to Jerusalem. They're looking back. They're thinking about the time when God, in his mercy, delivered the people and brought them into Jerusalem again, brought them out of their captivity. And now he's looking back. He's remembering what God did in that day. And now he prays in verse 4, turn again. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. And here is this uh, sobering scene. We think of how at that time uh, the psalmist is thinking about the captivity of Zion, how God brought them back under Ezra and under Nehemiah. And you remember how that in Nehemiah 4, it says that uh, they uh, came to the city of Jerusalem and we read that many of the children of Israel um, didn't want to go on and go through with God. It says in Nehemiah 4 how the children of Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burden is decayed, and there's much rubbish so that we're not able to build 
the wall. So here they were, and they were in the midst of this work, and many of them were discouraged and downcast, and they felt that they couldn't do the work. They were so weak that they had their eyes upon the enemy and their eyes upon the difficulty, and they could not do anything. But the psalmist says, turn again our captivity. You've just done a marvelous thing. You have just brought us out of captivity. Now turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. And you see the picture that he has in mind there. The word south there is a reference to the desert land. It's a reference actually to the Negev, which um, is the south country. And usually the Negev or the desert is dry. It is parched. It's arid. There's nothing ever flows in it. It's a wilderness. And in the summer, it's completely dry. Sometimes in the winter, there are little streams that run and the wadis begin to flow and uh, all the rest of it. But most of the time, there's just cracked gutters and cracked earth. So the psalmist is thinking, I'm in the summer. I'm in the desert land. But Lord, I want you to send rain into the desert land. And then when the uh, rain began to flow in the desert, it changed the landscape completely. In some of the desert lands, there are flowers, the seeds of which can grow up very rapidly, and they're just adapted for the desert place. And when the water comes, they spring up almost in a day, and the whole uh, vista of the land is changed almost overnight. And that's what he's saying here. This is what he wants to happen. He's really speaking about revival. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we're praying for? Lord, turn again our captivity as the streams in the south. We're dry. We're barren. We're arid. But Lord, you can send the, the water, the streams in the desert land, and you can uh, change the situation completely. And you notice the suddenness of it. What is dead and barren and dry suddenly as the, the waters come, the whole of the vista of the land is changed and the whole country is transformed by the water. And you think of how the Bible speaks about the showers of blessing, how we need the showers of blessing today. Ezekiel 34 verse 26 says, And I will make them and the places round about my hill a blessing, and I will cause the shower to come down in a season. There shall be showers of blessing. My, he sends them suddenly. And you think about the suddenness of the change. But think about the scope of the change. Here is this harsh, barren place. And suddenly it becomes fruitful. The whole character of the place is changed. Maybe it changes into a riot of color overnight. And my, here is what needs to happen in our land. The whole character of our land, the whole uh, outlook of the land needs to change. And isn't that what happened in times gone by in revival? You think of how 
the criminal justice system almost ran out of um, clients, as it were, in the time of the 1859 revival. Public houses were closed. Places of ill repute were closed because God had changed the very character of the land. And we think about the suddenness of the change and the scope of the change, but also look at the seeking for the change because you notice that the psalmist is asking for it. This is a prayer. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. We need to ask for the blessing. We need to pray to God for revival. We think of what it says in Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it shall be given uh, uh, unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. You think of what it says in James. How often it's true. Ye have not, because ye ask not. How often do we pray, really pray, for the outpouring of the blessing from on high? And the psalmist asks for God to give good times again. And surely that's something that we can pray for and we need to pray for in these days. So we notice here the supplication that he makes. But one more thing and that is the sowing he does. And it's appropriate just after harvest thanksgiving that we're thinking about a harvest theme here. But look at the end of the psalm, verses 5 and 6. He says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And you'll notice the characteristics of the man that is mentioned here. He goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed. So he is a person who is a worker, first of all. He goes forth bearing precious seed. You know, the farmer who wants a crop needs to sow the seed. If he wants a crop of potatoes, he's going to have to put in the seed potatoes at the proper time. He doesn't say to himself, well, there's a patch of barren ground there, and I would love a a harvest and a good crop of potatoes, and uh, then do nothing. That would be foolishness. He has to put in the seed. He would have to make sure that the seed is put in. And it's the same if we want a spiritual harvest, we've got to sow the seed. We've got to be out there sowing the seed amongst the people sowing the seed in the ground around us, uh, and we know that God is sovereign in salvation, but he uh, tells his people, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. We are his instruments. We are those that are sowing the seed. And so the person that is mentioned here, he is a worker. He's bearing precious seed. He goes out with a good uh, amount of seed, And he's sowing the seed where he goes. But not only is he a worker, but he's a weeper. It says, he that goeth forth and weepeth. And you'll see that the person is not a superman. And it's not Wonder Woman. It's just a person like you and me 
with their weaknesses. And there's a sensitivity to this man. This man weeps, uh, or a woman, or whatever it is, weeps because they're a person that cares. And the business of sowing is not easy. The business of uh, being in the field is not easy. There are many disappointments at times. But uh, when we go, we weep. And uh, we see the business uh, of weeping. You think of the prophet uh, Jeremiah, and he said, Oh, that my head were waters, and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. We weep because of the hard-heartedness of men. We weep because of our own insufficiency. We realize the lack of strength that we have. We go out and we weep. But nevertheless, we go out and we work. So we notice the man's characteristics, but then look at the man's concern. What is he concerned with? He's concerned with seed. He's concerned with bearing precious seed, the portion of Scripture um, says. And the concern of the worker in God's field is with the precious seed. And what is the precious seed? Well, in Matthew chapter 13, we think of that parable of the soils or the parable of the sower that the Reverend McVeigh spoke about on Sunday evening. And we are told there that the seed is the word of God. And that's what we go with. If we're going to be successful in this business, if we're going to see uh, a turning again of the tide, if we're going to see the captivity in the streams in the south, well, we need to pray as the uh, man of God has done here, but we need to go with the precious word of God. There's nothing else. It's not with innovations or with novelties or anything else. We go to present a biblical gospel. We go to present what God has said in his word. We're not to take from it. We're not to add to it. And we're not just to make it palatable so that we can think that we'll be acceptable to the unsaved. We've got to say what the Bible says. And uh, there are those that would not mention hell or judgment or anything else. But we need to present what the Bible says. We're to bear precious seed. We're not presenting a partial gospel or half a gospel because that gospel at the end will not save. We've got to go with the precious seed of the Word of God and preach preach the full-orbed gospel of our Savior. Not only do we see this man's character and his concern, but look at his confidence Because it says that he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless, doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his seed, uh, she's with him. Now there's a great encouragement in that. Uh, Even though it's hard and the work involves effort and weeping, and at times we are uh, going through hard times with it, it says that we will doubtless be a reaper. It says in Isaiah 55 and 11, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but shall accomplish that which I please and shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Now, I want you to see the bounty of the harvest. It speaks here of sheaves. 
It's plural. It's not a single sheaf. It's not a single blade of corn, but it is uh, sheaves of corn. And you know, the Lord has promised a return. Now, sometimes the gospel is a savor of death unto death, as well as being a savor of life unto life. But you know, God can do mighty things. I think of the man that preached in the primitive Methodist chapel in Colchester that cold winter night away back in the 1800s when Sage Purgeon went to that meeting and was saved under the preaching of the Word of God. And Sage Spurgeon, of course, went on to see thousands won to Christ. What great things the Lord can do through a word spoken in season for himself. We see the bounty of the harvest. But look also at the blessing of the harvest. He shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. With rejoicing. There's no greater blessing than seeing precious souls brought to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. There's no greater joy in seeing the kingdom of God extended. There's no greater blessing that we can have than seeing God's work prosper and uh, ground taken from the old devil. But here is the psalm of deliverance. And thank God tonight that the Lord does give deliverance. And he can give deliverance suddenly. But we need to pray. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Amen. Well, just let's unite together at the throne of grace in prayer. And um, can I ask the members of session committee to if you can wait just to set out uh, the things for Presbury afterwards as well, just if you can do that. But let's just unite together at the throne of grace and cry to God. Do um, pray that God will use his word that went forth on the Lord's day. Pray for the meetings on the Lord's day. Pray for the uh, Reverend Alvarez as he comes to uh, speak about the work there in Madrid and Spain and uh, pray that God will bless there. And uh, do pray for the children's meetings and the junior youth just over the, this evening, and we can pray, pray for that. Pray for the Sunday school and these meetings that as they get underway, uh, and they're in early days yet, but as they get underway, that God will draw new folks in and add to the church such as should be saved. Remember our missionaries, remember those that are in difficulties, and let's bring them to the Lord at the throne of grace and prayer. So let's unite together at the throne of grace. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank Thee for the suddenness with which God works. We thank Thee that what seems to be a hopeless situation can be changed overnight and transformed in such a way that it's like a dream. It's uh, almost unbelievable uh, what can take place. And, oh God, we recognize that that has happened many times. And we pray for the work and witness here. We pray for our own lives. We pray for our families, for that transformation to take place. 
for those that we have prayed for, for the Lord to come suddenly to his temple, for the Lord to make a difference in these days. And our Father, we come and we say like the psalmist, turn again our captivity as the streams in the south. Lord, we're in a dry land. We're in an arid situation. But we thank thee for the one who can send water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. So our God, we just ask thee that thou wouldst continue to bless us, help us tonight as we seek thy face, uh, lead us out in the place of prayer, and help us to cry unto thee. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen.